Welcome back to the second part of the message, Eight Essential Elements for Effective Evangelism, from Acts 4 and 5. To be better at evangelism is more than just learning a new plan or a new presentation. There are elements that are essential for us to be effective. Here's Pastor Tim. All right, let's keep going. Number six. To be effective in evangelism, you need power. You need power. You've seen what we just read there in verse number 12 again and again when he says many signs and wonders were done among the people. Let's keep reading that. He says, they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they brought the sick out to the streets and laid them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. One of the things that the church is missing today is power. It's the power of God. Now, I I believe that the the majority of these miracles are done so that it might validate the, the word of those apostles and you have validation that's here. And there's not a greater miracle that you ever see than a miracle of somebody being transformed from from death into life, from darkness into light. For a person to genuinely be saved, that's, that's, that's the greatest miracle of them all. But here's a reality. Our church, not just our individual church, but the church has lost its power. We have. You know, a Years and years ago, a politician who, let's just say they're considering an ordinance, (laughs) would have looked to the church. They would have wanted to know, what do the pastors in this community think? What are the the believers of my constituency, what do they believe? They don't hold their finger up to test the wind of the church. They don't care what the church thinks. The reason why they don't care what the church thinks is the same reason why the church has lost its power and its influence. It's because we don't look too much different in here than they do out there. We talk like they talk. We go where they go. We drink what they drink. We do what they do. We sound and we look exactly like the world. The only difference is is that we have something else to do on Sunday mornings. And if that's all that it means to be a believer... Well, I have a full calendar. We've lost the power because we've lost the distinction. Do you see what happened? when? I mean, the, that early church, God was working through them so significantly that they would take sick people and lay them in the street hoping that Peter would pass by and his shadow would fall on them. Did you see that in verse number 16? Multitudes gathered from around the surrounding areas around Jerusalem. Listen, if God began to demonstrate His power in this place, maybe people are being healed. Maybe people are being saved. But if the power of God rests on this place, People are going to hear of it. There is going to be a distinction. And people will come from everywhere. 
and fill up every one of these seats that are in this place. When I went to Romania, there was not one chair, there was not one area of the pew that was, that was empty. Instead, they were standing four deep in the back of the sanctuary. People come where God is at work. The problem with empty pews is not God. The problem with empty pews is a lack of power in the church. A lack of distinction in the church. Back in chapter number 4 and verse number 33... The Bible said that those disciples had great power. That's what we need to see here, isn't it? It's power. Number seven. To be effective in evangelism, you need persistence. You need persistence. Is there going to be trouble along the way? <laughs> you better believe it. You know? I mean, you go, you're going to find some trouble. Here's a sad reality. You're going to find some trouble in here. I mean, think about this for a minute. If, uh, if, if God were to begin to move, I mean, he showed up in real, genuine revival. And I think spiritual awakening follows revival. Man, people are being saved. People are walking down this aisle. People are being baptized week after week after week after week. And, and why can't he do it every single week? The Bible says he was doing it every single day, you know? Man, people are coming from everywhere. These places are, I mean, every seat is getting filled up. You think they're going to find any, any resistance within our church fellowship? <laughs> Somebody's sitting in my seat. Hey, I wish through them old days, you know, like it used to be when you go to a Braves game, you sit anywhere you want to. Man, I wish church, I wish I could go back and sit anywhere I want to. You know? I want to tell you something. Sometimes the opposition that you find inside the church to evangelism is worse than the opposition that you find on the outside. Can I tell you this? The opposition that comes from the inside comes from a person who will not share their faith if they have faith at all. In fact, it might come from the mission field that's in here, you know. But it takes persistence. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot to handle. If, if, you, if you get stymied time and time and time again. Let me tell you about the first time I ever shared my faith, first time I ever shared my testimony and told anybody about Jesus. I was a junior in college. I was going to the University of Georgia. And I was in a class, a Hebrew class of all things. That was my foreign language. And, uh, and so I'm sitting in this class, and, and we were studying the, uh, the, the last of Genesis, last few chapters. That's, we were translating that from Hebrew into English. And, uh, and so the professor kept making, making comments in classes. We'd talk about Joseph, and he'd say, you know, there's some people who believe this stuff really happened. You know, and, and so I'd sit there and I'd think, you know, does everybody not believe that these things happen, you know? And uh, so finally I had my Popeye moment. You know the Popeye moment, right? I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a little twerp, I'm a little punk, 
and, um, and you know, have no, no real courage whatsoever. But I just had had enough. And so I made an appointment with him in his office, and I was struggling. So he gets his grammar book out when I walk in there. And, all right, Tim, you know, <laughs> you know we're going back to chapter one and find you, find you some help. And I, I told him, I said, I'm not here really for Hebrew. I said, I'm here because you continue to say, you know, there are some people who believe that these things really happen. I believe. I mean, I believe these things really did happen. And so I began to tell him my own story. I told him how I came to faith in Christ just a few years before and told him how, how he could become a Christian too. Now, you have, to, you have to realize this. I mean, I didn't have any, you know, you say, boy, Tim, that was so brave. No, it wasn't brave. All right, pretend that you're sitting in the place of the teacher. All right, this is how I sat that day. <laughs> Every now and then I glimpse up at him. And, uh, but for the most part, I just talked to the floor, you know. And I, I shared everything I knew to share in those few minutes. And, and uh, you know, and when it was over with, um, he told me that he was a Buddhist. And uh, thank you very much, sent me on my way. And the next day in class said, you know, there are some people who really believe these things happened. Like this guy. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible, you know? I mean, it was enough to make you say, hey, I ain't never doing that again, you know? And I think, I think that's what the devil would have wanted more than anything else. Just coming to a point of saying, I ain't doing that again, you know? Hey, they closed the door on me. I'm not doing that again. Hey, they said, they said no. Well, I'm not doing that again. They made fun of me. I'm not doing that again. I sure am glad that's not how the, the apostles acted. Because they found some resistance and they persisted. Did I already tell you this? Did I already tell you number seven? It's persistence. Okay, all right. Here we go. I want you to see it. Verse number 17. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. So that's the bigger portion Sadducees had the bigger portion of the, of, the, of the Sanhedrin. All right, They were all filled with indignation. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest... And those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison, uh, sent and sent to the prison to have them brought. And when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, "Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, so it's not a problem with the locks, right? And the guard standing outside before the door, it's not a problem with the guard." He says, "But when we opened them." We found no one inside. This is a miraculous escape. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. In other words, these guys are in the wind. I mean, they're gone now. I mean, if they're not in there and they, they've escaped, they, we're never going to see these guys ever again. I wonder what's going to become of them. All right? Look at the next verse. Then one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They went right back to the same place where they got arrested. 
telling the same things that got them arrested to a whole group of people that might have been the same or might have even been different. He says, Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to teach, or not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Look at this. Didn't we tell you to stop? Didn't we tell you that it was okay for you to talk about Jesus over there in your church? Don't get out here in the temple and start telling it. Don't come out here in the marketplace. Don't get out here in our business and start talking about Jesus. We don't want that. Peter, verse number 29, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Man, they're sticking their guns. Look, hold, hold on to that just for a minute. Go back with me to chapter number four for just a moment. It's the same thing they had told them before. I mean, earlier when they got arrested and they told them, hey, don't speak or preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't do any of that stuff. Look, if you will, verse 20 of chapter four. They said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen, you decide if it's okay to, to obey God rather than men or men rather than God. You figure that one out for yourself. We've already figured it out. It's more important for us to obey God than it is for us to obey you. He told us to go tell and we're going to go tell no matter what you do to us. That's persistence, isn't it? Look, let's keep going. We ought to obey God rather than men, verse 29, now verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Persistence. Keep going. Yes, you're going to meet resistance, but the Spirit of God is with you. The Spirit of God will give you boldness. The Spirit of God will give you courage. The Spirit of God will do those things for you. Let me give you number eight. So far, most of these things, you, you, have, you have, I don't want to say you have control over, but you have a lot to do with these first seven. Number eight, you don't have anything to do with this one. You can't control it. You can't manufacture it. Number eight, to be effective in evangelism, you need providence. You need the providence of God. Our forefathers used to talk about providence an awful lot more than we did. It means God's at work and, you're not, and you don't get to see it. You know? It's God doing something behind the scenes. God doing something surprising. And boy, here it is at the end of this chapter. Let's pick it up, verse number 33. When they, that's the Sanhedrin, when they heard this, they were furious and they took counsel to kill them. That is Peter and John, the rest of the apostles. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee, you know enough already to know that the Pharisees and Sadducees did not get along. And the Pharisees at this point are the minority group 
that's in, that's in here. Now, they, I'm not saying that the, the Pharisees are the good guys and the Sadducees are the bad guys. Pharisees didn't want them out there teaching about Jesus no more than Sadducees did, you know? Look at what this Pharisee does, and look at who he is. One in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people. And he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a while, and he said to them, that is the Sanhedrin in private, men of Israel, Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. Well, we know what they intended to do. They intended to kill them, right? He says, For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Maybe, maybe not. But for sure, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. They didn't put Gamaliel up to that. I mean, you talk about the providence of God. They had nothing to stand on. I mean, as far as their legal rights, so to speak, Peter and John, those apostles, they didn't have anything to stand on. They'd already been told, they'd already been warned, they'd already been fined, they'd already been beaten, all those things. They'd already been told, you stop. So the Sanhedrin has every legal right they want to to do whatever it is that they want to. But this man, who is still in opposition to the apostles, comes to their rescue. Why did he do that? In his own heart, in his own mind, he may have had his own reasons, right? But he does that because God prompts him. God puts him in that place. God's not above using an unbeliever to accomplish his purposes. He's done it throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. He could surely do it again. Look what happens. Verse number 40, they agreed with him. That's the Sanhedrin, agreed with Gamaliel. When they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I'm not so sure that would have been my first thought, you know? But it's theirs. Look what happens at the very last verse. Daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The message is going to go. The message has got to go. Will God use you to do that? I know He wants to, and I believe that He will. Let's pray. I would ask you to pray about your own spot in being his ambassador. You know, maybe, maybe you start where they started. Maybe you begin simply by praying for boldness and an ability to see opportunities as opportunities. But there may be, there may be one or more of those that you get caught up on 
And that's the one that you want to pray about. Listen, as, as much as you want to be a good ambassador, as much as you want to be a good evangelist, so to speak, a good witness, God desires that you be effective even more. Whatever or whoever you need to pray for, let's take time and do that. I, I want to open up that altar and let you use it. If I can help you, I want to, okay? Jesus, I want to say thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example that the apostles have set for us, realizing that even though we live in a different time and a different culture, that your principles still work no matter what. So we trust you, and we set forth to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with Such a reassuring message to help each of us understand the elements to sharing our faith and our love for the Lord through building of relationships in our daily walk with Christ. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.